Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well. We just flew in from Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm tired. So we are, th this mic is sounding a little bit different today than it uses us. So we are, uh, have a little bit of jet lag, but it's so good to be in the house of the Lord today. We were at the uh, Phoenix, Arizona, beautiful uh, hotel. It's a beautiful city, but it is hot. Oh, they say, it's a dry heat. I don't care if it's dry or wet. It's hot. <laughs> but uh, it was a conference of the Full Gospel Fellowship or the Fellowship Network. Ministers from all over the United States and other nations also. <clears throat> it was announced there uh, through the missions that our churches and most of you know that we have belonged to that this organization the fellowship network since 1962 uh, I have been a member of it since 1965 and it is a <clears throat> connection of independent I don't necessarily like that word but it is independent churches that does not belong to the denomination but we belong to the fellowship headquarters in Dallas Texas and through all these uh, independent churches, we've been able to give over $18 million to missions. And so that makes me feel good. And I appreciate what you do here. You know, we, we have some great missionaries. Uh, I thank Dan Soldania for doing such a wonderful job with our missions and staying in touch with those overseas. And it's not been easy for the last maybe almost couple of years because of COVID. <clears throat> but uh, thank you here, whether it's India, whether it's Nicaragua, whether it's in Mexico, or whether it's in the Middle East or locally here in the States, we thank you for helping us support that. Now, uh, we had some great speakers, great services, and we thoroughly enjoy that. And we were able to give out scholarships. And I want to talk just a little bit about that, if you'll bear with me, as Sister Carol and Brother Michael, I think he's coming. But Sister Carol comes and uh, talks a little bit about what we did this past week. Uh, and it means a lot to this church because it revives us, it helps us uh, to really be broad-minded, to reach out to others. And so, uh, Sister Carol is coming at this time. Well, greetings to you. I'm a little browner. <laughs> when you step out into 109-degree temperature, you're going to get something. Got, got a little brown. <laughs> so, uh, greetings to you from there. The theme of the conference was hope. But I noticed that as the ministry began... Every single ministry focused on two basic points, casting vision and revelation, a new revelation. And so I began to realize and see that there's really something happening globally with the church. 
I don't want you to get discouraged and think that everything is like just some little segment over here, but globally across the nation, something is truly happening to the body of Christ. And I am very, very excited to report to you about that. The fellowship did begin in 1962, and the founding pastor of this church, my dad, Zeb Holder, was able to be part of that group of men that came together in 1962 and formed what is presently today the Fellowship Network. You know, when someone begins and has a vision like my dad and Gordon Lindsay, they're the, uh, Gordon Lindsay's the main one that began this, uh, you don't want that vision to die. You want it to go on. And I can tell you there's been times with the Fellowship Network where we weren't sure if we were in the right place. You know, there was troubles with leadership up and down. But God has been faithful. It has brought the Fellowship Network through some troubling times. And I can tell you from what I can see, it is very healthy and it is going yeah. forward greatly. Uh, Pastor Don and I, Pastor Don became a member in 1965, but Bethel Christian Center was one of the original churches to be partnered with the Fellowship Network. And I am just so proud to tell you today that the legacy of the Fellowship is going on. It's going on very strong, and we're very proud of it. Uh, the vision for the fellowship is very exciting because I feel like the legacy of the fellowship is being truly empowered by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the thing that impressed me the most was when I looked out into the congregation and the most engaged people in the congregation had to be 30 and under. And to see that congregation so engaged in worship and in, and in the things of God and the sermons and how that God is moving on their hearts, it was incredible. And then I realized that Bethel Christian Center submitted six applications for scholarship funds and every single one of them got something. And our top recipient, I want her to stay in this morning, Isabel Barbie came through on top. Every single member of the committee voted Isabel Barbie at the top. So God is doing something powerful in our young people, and I am so excited to tell you today that the legacy of the Fellowship Network is going forward strong. Our young people are strong in the Lord, and things are really happening. And thank God Bethel's been a part of it, and Pastor Don's been a part of it. I've been a part of it, and many of you out there are also. All of our speaking pastors are part of the Fellowship Network. And to tell you, I'm going to share something I forgot, didn't have a chance to ask. But when you have young people texting their parents, at three o'clock in the morning and talking about God's moving in their hearts. You know that God is doing something in this generation. And I'm so excited about it. I could not be happier than I am today to tell you that it looks like revival is coming to the church and it looks like it's coming to the next generation first. And 
all of us old people, what do we want to do? We want to be part of it, don't we? So let's get in this thing and support them. And we had, we had six applicants for scholarships, and they all received money. Emma is here. Emma, got some money. <laughs> uh, who else is here? Andrew and Karen are not here. Anyone else here, Michael? Oh, is, oh, there we go. You got some money, girl. Yes, yes. Listen, you know how they get money? The, of course, the need, it's need-driven. Second of all, they have to have a strong testimony. And these kids, y'all should read their testimony. You have no idea, unless you had the opportunity to read like I have, what God has placed in the heart of these young people. It is unbelievable. So let's thank God with a hand clap for all he's doing for the next generation. The fellowship is uh, uh, steered and led by an executive board of, of about 10 men and women. And uh, I've been a part of this executive board now for about 30 years, which is an honor to me. Uh, we, most of us know Randy Estelle. He was a member of the executive board in what is called the regional vice president. And uh, boy, I hate to say this, but he went home to be with the Lord just this year. And uh, so we had to replace Randy with someone. And the board felt like the person to replace him would be uh, Michael Britt, and so he has stepped into some big shoes, and uh, he was uh, had to chair some meetings, and he and uh, Christy uh, chaired or was MC for the last night of the convention, but he is doing a wonderful job, and he's going to come at this time. Would you welcome Michael Britt? Thank you all. It, it's one of those things where I was telling many, it's at best bittersweet when you step into a position like this with the passing of a dear brother. And, and that's what Pastor Randy was a brother and a friend to, to all of us. I got to know him. Uh, I met him in 2014, but you know, you, you, you love these people. And you know, we're not sad because he's worse off. He's with Christ. And, um, but you know, there's still people that are hurting and, and the families and all of that. Um, but it was an honor and a privilege to be asked to serve, and, and I guess the detail of, of what is involved is that I am overseeing organizing events and, and helping get churches connected in the southeast region, from Virginia to Kentucky, Mississippi, Alabama, down to Florida, all in between that southeast region. And I heard the, the missions director for the fellowship at the missions brunch there this week at the conference say, our greatest strength as a network as a group of believers, is the independence of the churches. There's that, there's autonomy, there's ability to, to move, and, and the individual churches aren't held down in a certain way. The greatest weakness of the network is the independence. And, and it's easy to, you know, just kind of be there, and, and not for anyone's fault, but just for the sake of time, and just people kind of get off in silos, and there's not the connection in some ways that there could, because it's hard to get to the big national conference. So how can we do ways that are 
more active, more involved in more locations to get more and more. There's many, many churches, many organizations, the parachurch ministries, many individual ministers in the fellowship. As pastors, as Carol just said, all the speaking pastors here, each person, each minister is an individual member of the fellowship. And that's the case with people all over the country. I got to sponsor two different individuals, both out of Florida. One actually that is constantly in Honduras. They're a missionary to Honduras, but their office is in Florida, so therefore they fall in the southeast region. We got to have dinner with a great husband and wife and their daughter, and you just get to meet so many that are working the kingdom work in so many different ways, and there needs to be a connection, needs to be a fellowship, there needs to be activity involved, and so how to do that, how to organize that, so we're looking at doing many dinners in different spots, Nashville's hopefully going to be the next one, and then regional events. So anyway, all that to say, it's a blessing, it's an honor, it's a lot of work, um, but it's exciting, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful to be representing the younger generation in that. I will say it's very true. There's a strong young contingency of people. I mean, they are jumping at the conference. They are worshiping. It's vibrant. I mean, it's very comparable to some of the things that we would have gone to in the big youth conference sense of things. So I just am excited that our church being founded in 1958 is one of the original churches that was a part of this network. It's exciting to be able to serve under Pastor Don, who is so influential in the lifetime longevity of the network, and just to see, you know, what Jesus is doing. You know, it's, it's one thing to see God's spirit move, but in this day and age, you have that looking a lot of different ways. Some people want to get on Twitter and, and be vocal about what's right and what's wrong about this, that, and the other, but the network itself is full of powerful witness of people throughout the years of churches around the world that have actively, powerfully move the gospel forward. And we're in a church that is as strong as any of that for that testimony. And so to be able to serve and continue that on and try to bring it together in a stronger way for the future, as far as having that connection, I'm excited to be able to, to work and to serve to be a part of that effect. So it's an honor. Uh, I ask that you would pray for me um, because there's lots of details when it comes to arranging these things that, uh, you know, if it's not for the Spirit, it will not work because you're getting people involved in working with vendors and restaurants and hotels and all that kind of thing. Uh, and it's something that God needs to be in every aspect of that for it to be glorifying to the kingdom. So thank you all very much, and uh, I covet your prayers. Bless you. I became pastor of this church in 1969, the same year that Red Robin was born. Yeah, I love Red Robin. They have turkey burgers and I go eat. And, but in 1969 and two years after I became pastor, I felt I had a real burden uh, to uh, provide students with scholarships. That was two years in, in, in past, into pastorate. And uh, just continue to have that burden and that vision. And I, I wanted to see young people blessed. I wanted to see, to see young people prepared for the future. That's their formative years. When they're graduating from high school, going into college, and uh, deciding who they're going to marry, uh, what will be the vocation. And it did not materialize until 1991. So when you have a vision 
And when you have a dream and it doesn't happen next year or the following five years, don't give up on that vision. Keep that vision. Listen to me, young people. Keep that vision. Keep that dream. So in 1991, uh, I became chairman of the education department. And I started a program uh, of scholarships given to the young people. And since 1991, our fellowship has provided over a million dollars to students. Not only that, but we've provided over 500 students with uh, scholarships. And uh, to get letters and cards and emails and thank yous, uh, Tyler Carson was there from Texas, just had a great testimony several years ago. He wanted to go to Christ for the nations. He did not have the funds. We gave him a full year scholarship to Christ for the nations. He got up the last night and said, thank you. And thank God for what was going on. So we really appraise God for what he is doing. He is blessing and touching people around the world. If you have an outline, I want you to look at your outline to the sermon. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand. And I hope we have somebody or someone that's going to be giving these out. Anyone that does not have an outline. We have some great greeters at that door. And make sure, and it looks like made sure everyone has gotten one. The introduction, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. If you've been with us for the last month or so, you know that we have been looking at the life and lives of King David and King Saul, the difference between these two men. And uh, we want to to continue this thought as we look at the verses in Proverbs. Also, it says in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, he who covers his transgression shall not prosper. Father, unless you build a house, we labor in vain that build it. Father, unless you watch over the city, the watchman, he wakes in vain. And God, we know unless you bless in this service that nothing will be done. We invite the Holy Spirit, dear God, to speak to our hearts. Not only, dear God, that the word might go forth to our ears, but we might understand it. And that you might do a work in this place tonight, today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Brother Matt, if you will, I think I want the song at the end of the sermon, Glorious Day. Uh, I ran out of that grave. I feel like God is going to do something specific in this church uh, service this morning. So we'll look at, or sing that song, and we'll look at laying our hands upon those that need prayer and believe God because we believe God is doing a great work. Amen? Amen. Let me say again, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is what? Covered. But, also, but in Proverbs 28, he who covers his transgressions shall not prosper. The former passage commends the covering of sin. The latter one condemns such. So one of them is commended. The other one is condemned. How are these two inspired oracles to be reconciled? 
Notice what it says. The solution to this seemingly difficult is, difficulty is quite simple, actually. And in fact, the former text is a blessing. Follow me, listen at it and read it. The, a blessing to pronounce that's pronounced upon him who has his sin covered by the blood of Christ and the means of God's forgiveness. So <clears throat> the writer Solomon, the wise man, says, Blessed is he, that person, that man, that woman, whose sins are covered. And notice uh, that in, in the former text, they bless the person whose sin is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But the other one, you're not blessed. So what I want to do is look at the two coverings or the covering of sin. Now, as we looked at Saul and saw sin before the Lord, it was found out he had sinned. Samuel, the great prophet, confronted him about his sin. There were three things that he did. He lied. He said he didn't do it. The second thing he did, he made excuses. And then the third thing, he blamed others. Other words, Saul, King Saul, once his sin was revealed, he tried to cover his sin. And then David, of course, sinned awful sins. He was confronted by Nathan the prophet to things he did. First of all, he confessed his sin. He didn't cover it up. And second of all, he repented of his sin. Now I wonder about us today. And I want you to think about this. Where are we at? Are we the person or the persons that cover our sins? Or do we confess our sins to God and get them covered by, simply covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? There are several ways that people cover sin. And we find that today, several ways. Uh, we're going to look at four of those ways. Wonder if you fall under the category of one of these. First of all, for those that sin, some, it's denial. <clears throat> one method of dealing with evil is simply to deny its reality. No. No, it's just not, it just didn't do it. The skeptic covers his sin by contending that it has no basis in reality. Uh, Sigmund Freud characterize it as mere illusion. What a convenient way of addressing the problem of human evil. It's like someone going to the doctor and the doctor says, you have cancer. And the patient says to the, to the doctor, don't worry about uh, anything. Doctor, I don't have cancer. You know, and that's the way we do when it comes. I don't, I don't have sin. Uh, I deny it. The second one, I conceal it. And, of course, this has been happening ever since mankind. When you look in the book of Genesis and read about Adam and Eve, and we know the story, how that they sinned, disobeyed God, and then when... They did, they were condemned, and they tried to conceal it. 
they sought to hide their shame from the Creator. And you can find that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. You try to hide it. Let me tell you something. You can't hide from God. You can't hide from the Creator. We find after the battle of Jericho, I talked about this earlier. Achan hid the forbidden spoils of, spoils of battle beneath his tent. But God brought the rebellious deed to light. You can find that in the seventh chapter of the book of Joshua. Concealment is simply temporary. What does the Bible say? Huh? The day will come, Luke says, look at it. The day will come when that which has been done in secret will be shouted from the housetop. Luke chapter 12 and verse 30. You think you're getting by with it? That affair? That stolen object? That awful deed that was done and we covered it up and no one knows it and think about it? God's light is going to shine upon deeds that are disobedient. Amen. God is the revealer of the secrets of mankind. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. God's going to reveal it. And the Bible says men hate darkness, or right, rather light, because their deeds were evil. They don't like light. That's the reason people sometimes don't like the word of God. And that's probably the reason sometimes at work or at school people shun you, don't want to be around you because you carry the air of a light, L-I-G-H-T. You carry the air of revelation. God's Holy Spirit is there, and they are condemned simply by being around you. In fact, they may be uh, agitated at you, may confront you about certain things simply because there's something going on in their life. So first of all, when people sin, trying to hide it, they deny it. Second of all, they conceal it. Thirdly, redefinition. Uh, uh, another ploy is dealing with the evil is the alteration of vocabulary. Somehow we labor under the illusion that if we can but find a less emotive term by which to designate our vices, the evil has disappeared. Now see if you can identify this in the culture today. What I'm, what I'm about to read, see if we can identify this in our society today. What does it say? So drunkenness becomes what? Alcoholism. Doesn't that sound much better? I remember when I was growing up, man got drunk, stone drunk, stumbling drunk. But oh, we've changed it. He's just an alcoholic and he's sick. Adultery is merely an affair. Well, doesn't that sound better? You don't hear that word adultery much. It's simply and affair. Sodomy is gay. And we don't think of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of those things. Sodomy. Pornography is <clears throat> adult literature. Now all those things make it makes it seem like it's not so bad. It's just as evil. 
It's just as immoral. You can label it any way you want to label it. Wrong is wrong. Sin is sin. But as Shakespeare once noted, a rose by any other name still smells sweet. It's still a rose. And so it is. Sin under any uh, alternate application is still, it's just as vile. Any other label, you can put any label on it. You can name it any other thing you want to name it. It's just as vile. We cover our sin, man does, through the Nile. We cover our sin through concealment. We cover our sin through redefinition. And then we cover our sin with rationalization. Notice, if you will, rationalization is a mental process whereby one justifies his or her actions by assigning to them a motive that appears to legitimize the conduct. I did it because of so-and-so. King Saul of Israel disobeyed Jehovah and refused to destroy the livestock booty taken from the Amalekites. He excused himself on the basis, notice what he said, we do it today, we do it all the time today. The people, here you go, spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice unto Jehovah your God. One of the big things today, one of the big excuses today, one of the often said things is, well, everybody does it. Everybody cheats. Everybody lies. All people, all young people have sex before marriage. No, they don't. And everybody don't lie. I don't. I'm not bragging. I just don't tell lies. I don't like it. I just. We like to say, oh, it was just something. America is expert in the art of rationalization. A, a student cheats on his final exam, feels no guilt because others are doing it. Rationalization is a soothing lotion for dull conscience. It does not work. Can you say amen? So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what your walk is today. I don't know how you deal with sin today because all of us sinned. We need to be like David. We need to go to the Lord. If you want to read a powerful chapter, on a confession of sin, read what David said in chapter 51 of the book of Psalms. Find yourself on your knees. Repent him before God. David thought he had it hid. He thought no one knew anything about it. He made every step. He was king. He pulled all the strings. He thought he had it hid. But Nathan knocked on the door, the great prophet. And he said, David told him a little parable. It revealed David's sin. And he said, David, thou art the man. And one day, listen at me. We can think about people out there and in the world and how they make excuses. And 
what they do to cover their sin. This is us. We are we. This church. All of us individually. Young, old. All of us. One day that light will shine. One day that thing that's done in darkness will be revealed. Can you say amen? Human attempts to cover disobedience are futile. In the divine plan of redemption, Jesus Christ becomes the covering. Somebody say hallelujah. We used to sing the song, I'm covered, covered, covered by the blood. I tell you, we need to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. He becomes our propitiation. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. What is it? He, he becomes our substitute. Even though he committed no sin, what he did on the cross spoke volumes when it comes to covering our sins. By virtue of the Lord's sacrifice at Calvary and our response to his will, our sins will be covered. Let me say that again. By virtue of the Lord's sacrifice at Calvary and your and my response to it. We can talk about it all day. We can sing about the cross, preach about the cross, think about the cross, read about the cross, but until we in our willful obedience to him, until we willfully come to him, it does no good. You've got to be willful. You've got to be obedient. You've got to come to Jesus Christ. Bow your head as they come to prepare for song. Let me ask you something today. Are you covering your sin or are you confessing your sin? It's a simple sermon, just a very, very, very forthright, simple sermon. Am I denying it? That that I did yet last week? That that I did when no one else was looking? That that I did and no one knows anything about it? Did I de am I denying it? Am I trying to conceal it, cover it up? Achan put his disobedience, what he stole, in the ground and covered it up. Am I concealing it? Am I trying to be like Adam and Eve and put fig leaves on, trying to cover myself? It didn't work. Am I redefining it? Am I, am I saying it's something else? Am I trying to rationalize it? What am I trying to do? Or am I like David? Oh, God. Oh, God. I want you to pray to God today. I want you to talk to God. It doesn't do any good for, the, for you, for the preacher to talk to God and ask forgiveness. We must. One of the most delightful things in the world is when you've been covering, uh, living under that awful, heavy weight of sin. Listen at me. And you know it's there. Maybe done years ago. Maybe it's something in just vital uh, rebellion against God. How about it? How about it? Father, 
I'm so glad you made a provision for us to be out from under the weight of sin, the evil of sin, the awfulness of sin. God, help us to sense guilt. Help us, dear God, to be condemned when we sin. Speak to our hearts. Lord, may we not become so calloused until we can sin and not sense any pain, regret, sorrowfulness. Search us here today. Search us here today. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you might say, Pastor Don, yeah, there's some things in my life that maybe my wife, my husband, my mom, my dad, my children, no one knows anything about it. Preacher don't know anything about it. Brothers and sisters don't know anything about it. But it's a real weight on my heart. And I want to get it under the blood. If you're here today, just, just, just take that right now to the Lord. Just take it right now to the Lord. Pray right where you're sitting. Would you do that? Father, forgive me. You can pray it. With a whisper, you can pray it in your heart, but pray it. Call it out. Name it. It may be painful, but name it. Say, Lord, you know what I did there. You know what I said to my wife I should never have said, and I haven't asked her to forgive me. I haven't even asked you to forgive me. You know what I said to my children, and I should not have provoked them, and God, I, I just need you, I just need you to forgive me. You know what I said, dear God, to my coworker or to some brother or sister, and I never really have taken that to you. I take it to you today. Holy Spirit, bring this to our remembrance. Speak to our hearts, dear God. May we come out from under. The unconfessed sins, the covered sins, forgive us today. Pray that prayer. Pray it in your heart. Believe the Lord. Trust the Lord. I'm going to take and bring me one of those new converts. I want to take just a moment. I want to be quiet just a moment. You pray in your heart to the Lord and ask him to forgive you. If you did that, if you ask the Lord to forgive you right now in your heart, thank him. You just ran out of that grave. We're going to sing that song in just a moment. It's a great song. You call my name. Hey, he's, he loves you. The devil will try to tell you God don't love you. He does love you. He does love you. 
Blessed. The Bible says it. God's word is he whose transgression is forgiven. If you've asked the Lord this morning to forgive you, you are a blessed individual. Hallelujah. If your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, you are forgiven. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, we've had these books for many, many years. It is called Whatever New Convert Should Know. It's written by the, man, by the name of a man from John H. Bostrom. B-O-S-T-R-O-M. John H. Bostrom. He's been dead for years. But while he was living, many, we've been giving these out for at least 40 years. While he was living, we gave these out. He died, and we didn't have a right to these books. Okay? He lived in California. I called his wife, and I talked to her. I said, Miss Bostrom, we've been giving out these books now, and I know Mr. Bostrom's dead, but we'd like to still give them out. Could you write us a letter and make sure that we're on good grounds legally? She said, I sure will. Just one stipulation, Reverend. I said, what is that? Don't sell it. I said, I'll never sell it, but we'll give it out. We have a file on file in our office, the letter that she wrote about 35, maybe 30 years ago. Gave us the right to give them out. They're great little books. You can read it with one sitting. If you prayed that prayer today, or if you sort of are wondering where you are in your walk with God, if you're battling sin, you don't understand it. If you don't understand it, I would encourage we have plenty of these books on the front row. Don't leave. Could you get several of them out and just lay them, Sister Carol, out? So... Don't leave without getting one of these little books. You say, I didn't accept Christ today because I already knew him. That's okay. That's okay. Some of you young people struggling with sin. Let me tell you what. What should, should doubts come? How do I deal with doubts? It tells you how to deal with those doubts. Never consider turning back. Oh, let me tell you, you don't have to. What if sin overtakes you? What if you do sin? Do I give up? Did I run up the white flag of surrender and say, okay, it's all over? No. It tells you how to deal with that. A lot of new converts get their eyes on people. Don't look at the inconsistencies of others. And then it's got... It's got some wonderful, positive things to do. First of all, read the Bible. If you don't have a good Bible, get you a good Bible. Prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Let me see them again. Prayer. Do you pray? Do you pray? Thanksgiving and praise. 